You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Morning. Hope you guys are doing good. I'm excited about today. We're excited about the one in one project. As you can tell, we got a lot of awesome things that we feel like God wants us to do and a lot of awesome things that are coming up. And so um, really want to uh, encourage you to be a part of that. Um, we're asking for us to continue our generosity. So far, it's been the generosity of this church that's been able us to do so many things from planning campuses to helping internationally doing a lot of different things. And so um, we're just asking that we would continue to be a generous church, um, asking you to pray about giving to the one in one project so that we can accomplish these things that God's given us to do. Um, we really believe this is going to be a big part of fulfilling the vision that God has for our church. And so um, we're excited about that. I hope you'll be excited about that and, and uh, excited to see what God does uh, in and through our church in the coming year and the coming years. So uh, looking forward to that. Today, we are going to continue our series um, Behind the Enemy Lines. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 if you want to turn your Bibles there or turn your phones on or whatever you do. Um, and the, the thing that we're looking at is in this series, Behind the Enemy Lines, we're looking at the different lies that um, sometimes Satan tells us, um, sometimes that we are led to believe about the church or about ourselves. And this is going to be really true today as we look at this lie that uh, growth isn't normal. That's the lie that we're, we're looking at today because the reality is that we should all be growing in the likeness of Jesus. We should all be growing into the likeness of God so that we begin to look more and more like him as we continue to grow in our faith. Our characteristics begin to line up with the characteristics of God. Our, our, uh, our, our heart begins to line up with the heart of God. And so we're going to be looking at that. We're going to read the first eight verses today, and then we're going to jump in. I will say this. If, if you have your children in here, we always believe that the best place for them is Connection Kids. And the reason we do is because we believe that it's uh, where they're going to learn about Jesus on their level. Um, and, and we really believe that. But today, especially if you have children in here who are um, under the age of, of sixth grade, I would encourage you to take them to Connection Kids um, just because some of the material we're going to cover in here today uh, is going to be um, really something that you don't want to have a conversation about at lunch, okay, with your nine-year-old. Um, and so anyway, just want to give you that and give you that option as, uh, as we go forward. All right, let's read the first eight verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and then we'll jump in. It says, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, as Paul is writing to this church in Thessalonica, he says, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and, in the, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning and the opportunity we have to open your word, that we can even hold your word in our hands and, and read it, Lord, is, is amazing. And we thank you for that. God, I just pray that you would come now, Lord, 
and do what only you can do. Touch our hearts, change our hearts, change us to be more like you. God, I need you and we need you. We need your help this morning. Every one of us have broken areas in our life and God, I pray that you'd begin to mend those, heal those and begin to make us whole and make us into the image of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen, amen. Well, how many of you have been to a Georgia Southern game in the last few years, maybe a Georgia Southern football game in the last few years? A lot of you, most of you probably have been to a Georgia Southern football game. Um, one of the things that is really cool about the Georgia Southern football game is actually before the game ever starts, when you get to see Freedom, the Eagle, come down from above the press boxes and swoop down, make a couple of circles around the stadium and then land on a guy's arm down there on the field. And that is pretty cool to watch and to see. But here's the thing I realize about me. That never would have worked if I were the eagle because I know what they, I would have done. When they let me go, I'd have took off, right? I'd have just left. I would have checked out. I'd have been gone. And sometimes I wonder about the eagle. I'm like, your name is freedom, right? So like go, like fulfill your calling, fulfill your destiny, right? Um, freedom, go. And so um, anyway, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about how our lives in some ways oftentimes resemble um, this. And, and, and the way they do is this, that many times we want to be free. We want to go a different way. We want to go a different route. We want to do something different. We want our life to look different. But what we end up doing is taking the same downward spiral to the same point that we always end up. Have you ever noticed this in your life? It's kind of like this cycle of sin or this cycle of bad decision. It goes something like this, where um, I, I make a mistake, or I'm doing pretty good, then I make a mistake, I sin, I do something wrong, I fall um, into in sin, I feel bad about it, I get caught, or, or I just come to a place of remorse, um, and then I start to feel a little better because I feel like I made things right with God, and then I feel a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, but then I end up doing it again. Anybody ever been in that cycle like me, where you kind of feel like, what the heck, man? Why can't I get over this? Why can't I get over that? The one thing I want you to hear from me today, because the one thing I really believe that God has told me to tell you, and that as I prayed this week, that kept coming back over and over in my heart is this, that you can be free. You can be free. That you can walk in the freedom that Jesus died to give you. That you can be set free from this cycle of sin, this cycle of, of this downward spiral that we oftentimes end up in. We can be set free from that, and I'm going to give you some practical steps to do that in a minute as we go through this text. But the thing I really want you to understand is that it is a possibility that we can break that cycle. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus, that cycle's been broken. All we really have to do is walk in what God's already given us. And so I want you to look again at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. He says this, as for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. He says, we told you the pattern. We told you the way to live. We told you how to walk is what it would literally be translated in, in a way that pleases God. And this is what I believe about the majority of people in here today, that you didn't come in here not wanting to please God, but your life is one that you want it to be pleasing to God. It's just, we screw it up a lot of times. And the reality of it is we often fall into this trap when it comes to pleasing God. And the trap that I see in this and the trap, what I would call it, is it's a performance trap. 
It's a trap that we get into when we begin to try to please God so that God will love us, not because we're living to please God, because he's already given us his love. It's a big difference when you look at it. One of them is I'm trying to please God. I'm trying to make God happy so that he will love me. I'm trying to make myself good enough so that he will like me, so that he'll be pleased with me. The other way looks at it and goes, God is pleased with me because I'm in Christ. He sees me in the righteousness of Jesus. He loved me while I was a sinner. He loved me even though I have fallen, even though I have strayed, even though my heart has wandered. He loved me. And so now I want to live a life that's pleasing to him. Y'all are quiet this morning, you're killing me. And so, you're listening, okay. Right? And so when we look at this uh, and you see this, there's a problem though, there's a trap. One of the traps we fall into is this performance mentality that oftentimes we begin to try to perform to please God in a way that secures his love when his love's already been given to us and it's already been demonstrated to us through Jesus, his son. So we know that God loves us. The rest of our life is spent, once we've accepted that love, we accepted Christ, the rest of our life is spent living out of that love and living in a way that pleases God, not so that he will love me, but because he does love me. And so we live it out in that way, but one of the traps is the performance trap. Another trap is the trap of limitations. Listen to this, it says, as in fact you are living. So he's saying you're living in a way that pleases God, but then he says this, now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. He's saying you're doing well, you're growing in the image of Christ, but do this more and more, keep growing. It indicates a continual growth. He's saying you haven't arrived yet, you haven't made it there yet, keep growing, keep going. He's encouraging them to keep stepping. But the other uh, trap we can fall into is a trap of limitations. Because at some point when we're following God, when we're, we're come to this, uh, come to church or we begin to, uh, as they would say, become religious, we begin to have a, a relationship with God. Oftentimes we try to do that in our own strength where we're trying to walk this out in our own power. And what we end up doing is running up against a wall of limitations. I experienced this in my own walk and it was very frustrating because I realized I couldn't change me anymore. And I finally had to surrender to God's grace and say, Lord, it's your unmerited favor, your undeserved love that's going to have to change me from the inside out because I can't change me. And the fact is that if you could change you, you would have changed you a long time ago, right? But you can't change you. And so the reality of it is for us that we have to come to a place where we finally surrender to his love and recognize our limitations. I was playing basketball with my oldest son and a couple of his friends the other day, and we, we weren't even running full court, like up and down the court. We were playing half-court basketball, and two minutes in, I'm like, <gasps> I, I mean, I felt like I was having an asthma attack. I don't even have asthma, right? And, and so I thought I was dying. I quickly found my limitations. We've all got limitations physically, but we've also got limitations spiritually, we can only go so far making ourselves look like Jesus. And in this, it's, there's a key to this. He says, in the Lord Jesus, do this more and more. We're encouraging you in him. And that word in is huge because it's in Jesus that we begin to find who we really are. It's in Jesus that we begin to find the power to live out the life that he's called us to live. We can't do it on our own. It is in Christ. Some of us feel stuck right now in our relationship and we're trying to figure it out. Listen, the way to become unstuck is to look to the one who can get you unstuck, Jesus. 
Many of us have been, our, our whole experience with God has been about trying to please him in the performance trap or bumping up against our own limitations in this cycle of, of sin or cycle of bad decisions and just continually bumping up against our limitations. But God's got a better way. God says if you do it in Christ, you're unlimited. God will do it seemingly abundantly more than we could think or imagine. Verse two, he says, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For many of us, this is another trap. See, we come to church or we have said, yes, I want to be a follower of Jesus. But the reality is that God's word is yet to take authority in our life. We've got to come to a place where this book, the words in this book, we realize that they are living and active, that they were given to us by God, and that this becomes the highest authority in our life. Many of us have lived our lives as though we've stuck up our middle finger to God and said, I'm gonna do what I wanna do, and we've fallen into the third trap, which is a trap of rebellion. And we've lived our life rebellious towards God, knowing maybe even what the word says, but not living it. And until this word becomes our only option, until the scripture becomes the only way that we, we know we can live and truly find life, we'll never consistently live according to it. We've got to come to a place where we see this as God's option. This is the option. There are no other options. There's no other way to find life other than live according to his word, even when it goes against my logic, even when it goes against my preferences. The best way to live life is according to his word. The best way to make decisions is according to the scripture. But we can't seem to find time to even know what it says. We can wear out the batteries in our remote control, but we don't even many times know where our Bible's at. We can find time to do everything else, but my question is how much time are you spending in God's word? And do you see this as the authority of your life? See, it's hard to say that we're saved if we haven't submitted to God's word. We can fool ourselves and say that we are, say that we love Jesus, but I just don't have much love for his word. But that's not really even possible because Jesus says that he is the word. He was the word made flesh. And so there's going to be a direct link between our love for Jesus and our love for the Bible. It'd be like me never wanting to spend time with Susan, but me telling her, I love you. But I don't want to go out to eat with you, right? Doesn't make sense. It's the same thing with God. And so we realize that many ways we fall into a trap of rebellion, a trap of limitations, this trap of performance, and it keeps us on this cycle, this downward spiral that we always seem to end up in this spot. It goes on, and, and here's some good news for you. It says in verse three, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. That word sanctified basically means that you should become like Christ. It's basically saying you're gonna grow into the identity that Jesus has already given you. He's given you his righteousness, now you're growing in it. That's what Christians do, growth is normal, it's not that growth isn't normal. And so we continue to grow in his likeness. We continue to grow in what he, he, he's called us to be. The good news is it's God's will for us to become like him. That means that we don't have to do it fighting against God. God's not fighting for you to not become like him. God is fighting for you and God is fighting with you so that you can become like Jesus. 
That means that you can draw strength from him. You're not going against him, which would be a losing battle. You're fighting with him. He's fighting for you. He wants to remove the obstacles. He wants to give you the strength, but we've got to be willing to come to him. We've got to be willing to submit to him. We've got to come to a place where we say, God, your will, not my will be done. And so we come to this place where God's word has authority, where I know my limitations, where I draw strength from him, where I live out of his love and where I recognize that I have a God, a savior, he's fighting for me and with me so that I can become like him. Now this is where it starts getting kind of tense because he goes in and he begins to talk about sexual immorality. And he says this word for sexual immorality is basically, it's a Greek word called pornea, which basically means a junk drawer for all types of sexual sin. And so he tells us in here that we are to avoid sexual immorality. He tells us in here that each of us should learn to control our own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. He says, listen, not like the pagans who do not know God, not like the people who are far from God. He's saying, you know God. There ought to be a difference in your sexuality, in the way, in, in the way you handle the subject of sex, in the way you go about sex, in the way you do life, than, than the people who don't know God. Because they don't know God, this is how they live. But there ought to be a different way in which we live because we do know God. And he's saying, look, this is reality that there should be a difference. He says, who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Do you realize that, 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 that every female in this room right now is the daughter of a king? Do you realize that every female in here is, is a child of the king of kings and the lord of lords? Then how dare us look at them like some object to be used and to be abused when they're to be treated like a daughter of the king. Do you realize that every man in here is the son of the king? That we should be like royalty. We're called to be princes. We're called to be his sons. We're called to not objectify women but to be there to, to lift them up, to help. And this is who we're called to be. This is who you are. If you are in Christ, you are a son of the king. Are you living as royalty? Are you living like a child of God? That's God's desire for us. He says, brothers and sisters, he says, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we're told, we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject the human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. He's telling us if you're in Christ, you've received the Spirit of God. But he's also telling us that if you're rejecting this instruction, if you're not willing to submit your life to this instruction, then you're not rejecting man. So you can get mad and you can sit there like this and you can get all frowned up and ticked off. It really doesn't matter to me. But the reality of it is, this is coming from God's word. This is coming straight from him. So you reject his word. You're not rejecting me. You're rejecting God. And a God who gave his son and gave his best and gave his life for you. Not so that he could do you harm, but so that he could do you good. 
Every word in this book is to bring you good and to bring God glory. But I could sit here today and spend all day long just talking about sexual immorality. The reason Paul talked about it is because it was so big in his day. People talk about this book being, uh, being outdated, but the reality of it is we still deal with the same issues they were dealing with 2,000 years ago. He's saying, look, this is, this is a big issue. I'm telling you today, this is a big issue. And, and this is the reason why. I've heard of three affairs this week. There is seldom a week that goes by that I don't hear about a man cheating on his wife or a wife cheating on her husband. And it's ridiculous. It's time for men to start being men and quit being boys. It's time for men to start doing what men do and keep our pants up and be faithful to the one who we said, yes, I do. That's what he's called us to as men. And ladies, you, we don't, like we, like I'm one, you don't get off um, scot-free on this because the reality of it is I hear more about women or as much about women as I do about men going outside of the marriage covenant. And the reality of it is that it needs to cease. And I'm not standing up here today to yell at you and to say, you suck. I'm not up here to do that. What I am up here to do is to tell you that I'm not gonna sit by and watch families be destroyed and watch um, people destroy their lives without at least throwing up the warning flag and saying, slow down, stop, wait, don't do that. That would be spiritual malpractice on my part. And so you don't have to like it, but I'm gonna tell you, and I'm gonna tell you because I love you and I truly care about you, and I care about your family. But this is how we typically handle it. Instead of doing what the Bible says, it says avoid sexual immorality. That means that you take a cut, you, you, a clean cut. It, it is to say, absolutely not. It is to turn and go the other way. But what we typically do is we toe the line, right? It's just a little flirting. It's not anything serious. It's just uh, reconnecting with an old friend on Facebook. It's just a little thing. It's not a big thing. And then the next thing you know, we're in a sexual relationship with somebody that we're not married to and we go, wow, how did that happen? But that's the reality. Is that how it's happened? And, and then look, 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 we've bought into this lie that it's just sex. It's just sex. What's the big deal? I mean, I'm probably going to marry him. It's just sex. Didn't mean anything to me. It's just sex. It's not just sex, people. It's not just sex, it's something that God has given as a gift to be shared within the marriage covenant between a husband and a wife. It's something that God has given. Do you know, and, and, and I want you to hear this, do you know that when you are sexually aroused or you come to a place, and I'm just gonna say it, where you have a, an, an orgasm, do you know that there are chemicals released in your brain, there are neurotransmitters released in your brain that is actually called a love potion that is similar to taking a, a hit of heroin and, and it, it, it draws you in and it connects you and it literally um, makes you have greater desire for the object, whether it's pornography, whether it's someone, 
Whatever it is, it literally connects you to that object. And, and, and it's something that happens. Isn't it funny that the Bible told us this thousands and thousands of years before science discovered this? Because the Bible says that when we have sex with someone, that we become one with them. We become one flesh. And let me show you what it's like. Here's just a regular old Band-Aid. And I want you to see this, because this is what it's like. This Band-Aid's pretty sticky. I'm gonna show you how much I really love you, because I'm gonna stick this on my arm. I don't know if y'all can see this on there, but I'm really hairy. I look like a woolly mammoth. And so I'm gonna stick this on my arm right there and press it down real good because that represents you and what happens when you have sex with someone. That's, that represents that interaction. You become bound with that person. But here's the thing I want you to see, and this wasn't fun at nine, it's not gonna be fun now. Can't believe I even did this. Here's what happens once that's over. I wish you could see all the hair that's stuck to this thing. <laughs> but basically what happens is you're torn away from them. But guess what? There's pieces of you that you leave with them. And the more you do that, the more you of yourself you leave with other people. That's one of the reasons it's not just sex. And if I were to sit here and just continually do this over and over and over again, it would eventually have so much stuck to it that it no longer be sticky. And what ends up happening is it begins to be where it won't stick with anything else, which is the same thing that happens to us in our relationships. It affects our relationships down the road where we can't be sticky with the one that God has put us with because we've been stuck and shared ourselves so many different places. It begins to impair those relationships. And so that's one reason it's not just sex. Another reason is that God intended it to look a certain way. The husband and wife in marriage. And God intended for that to be something that brings him glory, that brings him honor. And this is a big deal. It's why God, Paul spent as much time as he did talking about it. And he says that we can overcome that. And I'm gonna give you the good news now. I'm gonna give you, how do we break the cycle? Whether it's sexual addiction. See, in, in, in this day and time, sex was tied to, to a lot of idol worship. It was big in the temples, uh, shrine prostitution, these temple prostitutes. And so it was connected to all kinds of idolatry. Remember, an idol isn't just some statue that you worship. An idol is anything that you put ahead of God, anything that you worship ahead of God. And so you can plug anything into this, really. What is the thing that you struggle with? What is the idol in your life that you worship ahead of God? And you can plug it in right here. But I told you as we began this message that you can be free. I want you to see this. I want you to understand that you can be free. You don't have to live in that cycle. I don't have to live in the cycle. I can be free. And I'm gonna give you some practical steps right now 
to help you. They've helped me. And I want to tell you the very first one is this. The very first one is salvation. The very first one is coming into a relationship with Jesus. Because until we come into that relationship, sin has, has, has mastery in our life. Sin does have a controlling power in our life. But when we come to faith in Jesus, the reality is the power of sin is broken over our life. And Jesus gives us a new heart through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we're no longer bent towards sin, but our our heart begins to be bent towards God, to live according to God. It doesn't mean that we're made perfect. It doesn't mean that we no longer have struggles. It just means that we do have a new heart. And here's the thing I want to tell you. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you have a new heart. Whether you feel it, whether you think it, whether you say what I've done is too bad, there's no possible way. You you talk about the band-aid, you ought to see my band-aid. Here's the reality, there's no possible way. I'm telling you, if you're a follower of Christ, you have a new heart. I'm telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, the old is gone and the new has come. I'm telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you may have given your purity away, but Jesus comes and gives you his to make you whole, to make you complete, to make you where you're lacking nothing, but you are whole in him. The second one, you've got to realize, and I have to realize that sin points to an inner brokenness. It's it's like a signal. When we're, when we're in sin, when we have a cycle of sin, it's pointing us to some brokenness that's within us. It's like one day I was driving down the road and I felt some bumping, you know? I was like, and then a guy pulls up beside me, like he's passing me and he's just riding beside me. And you ever had that awkward moment where you're like, I don't really want to look, what are they doing, what's going on? And then finally I was like, what? You know? He was like, and then I stopped and looked, I had a flat tire. I didn't even know it, it was like I thought it was the road or something. But listen, there was something telling me that I had a flat tire. I just was ignoring it. That's how we oftentimes live our lives. That's how we oftentimes live our lives in this way that our sin, our struggles is telling us there's something broken, but we ignore it. And we just keep on going and this thing just continues over and over and over in our lives. And the reality is, it's a way that we can see our brokenness. The third one is that we've got to identify what is broken. What's broken inside of me? Because there are some needs that all people have. Then when those needs go unmet, we begin to search for them. It's like being thirsty, but then you say, I'm not going to go look for any water. We, we go after these things. We thirst for these things. Things like affection. Everybody wants to know that they're loved. Things like attention. Everybody wants to know that someone wants them. Someone's interested in them. Things that are like uh, acceptance. I want to know that I'm okay. Things like affirmation. I want to know that I'm good. Things like significance. I want to know that my life makes an impact. I want to know that I'm significant to somebody. Things like security. It tells me I'm going to be okay. 
Those are things that we all long for. And when we don't have those things, there's a big void in our soul that says, I need those things no matter what the cost. And so we begin to go after those things in our brokenness. What we don't realize is we can never feel those things apart from God. But in the gospel, we see every one of those things fulfilled. We see affection, the love of God. We see affirmation that he's saying, you're worth me giving my best for. We see in this, we see the the acceptance that through Jesus, we can go boldly into the presence of God. We see that our lives now have a significance to them. We see that we have security, the greatest security we can ever have. All of that is in God. But until we come to him, it is as if we have a, a, a bottle with, the hole cu- with a hole cut in the bottom and we're steady trying to fill it up. And it'll never be filled. But in God, we find these things. What is it that's broken in you? What is it that's missing? Where is the gap? Because the fourth thing we need to do is bring what's broken to the healer. Bring what's broken to the healer. Here's something that Christians are really good at. We, we get pretty good at bringing our sin to God. And we should do that because repentance is when we bring our sin to God, we leave it with God and we turn and we go the opposite direction and we go towards God. We, we quit going this way and we turn and go this way. But the thing that we're not so good at and that we oftentimes don't even think about is that there is a reason that I continue to come back to that sin or there's a reason that sin continues to be a part of my life. And the reality of it is that I I have to recognize the brokenness, what it is in me that's broken so that I not only bring the sin, but I also bring the brokenness. Because that's what needs to be healed. The sin is a symptom. The sin is the fruit of something that's gone wrong. We have to be willing to bring our brokenness. Are you willing to do that? Have you ever done that? So many times we walk through our Christian lives bumping up against our limitations because we haven't yet brought our brokenness to Jesus. This is something that I didn't learn. I've been pastoring for probably seven years before I realized this, that all my Christian life, I had been doing pretty good at bringing my sin, but I hadn't yet brought my brokenness. I hadn't yet heard God say, you're good enough. I hadn't heard God say truly that he loved me because of me, not because of my performance. I had to realize all of those things and finally come to him. But we have to bring what's broken to the healer. And the last one, and this is huge, we have to stand in God's truth. We have to stand in God's truth. If you're taking notes on this, then you can write these two things under that. One is God's will and two is God's word. The great news is that it's God's will that we should be sanctified, that we know God is fighting for us. It's his will that I become like Jesus. The second thing is God's word, that the the truth about my life is not what my past tells me. It's not what my neighbor tells me. It's not what my friends tell me. It's not what anybody else tells me. It's what God's word tells me. It's not what my past sexual experiences have been. It's not what my past um, drug addiction has been. It's not what my past anything has been. It's what God's word says about me. And the reality of it is that when I am in Christ, he says that I am a new creation, that I'm no longer that thing, but I am something new. 
I've been made new and I'm being made whole in him. But this has to be the authority. This has to be what has the voice in our life. Because when we can begin to see ourselves the way God sees us, we can begin to live as God instructs us. Until then, we end up running up against our own limitations. And listen, I don't know your past. I don't know your history. I don't know what influences have created the voids in your life, the brokenness in your life. But I know who does. It's Jesus. And the great news is the Bible tells us that we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's in every way been tempted as we are. It was without sin. See, the great news about that verse out of the book of Hebrews is this. He not only knows where you are, he's been there. He's been there. We have a Savior who has walked in our shoes, who knows, who understands. And he's willing to walk with us through anything. Salvation. Realize that our sin points to our brokenness. Identify our brokenness. Bring what's broken to the healer and stand in God's truth. I don't know who you are, and in many cases, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, but this is what I know. If you don't know Christ, you need to take the first step of salvation. And here's the reality. I want that for you more than anything. And my question, I'm not going to beat around the bush with it. I want to know, have you made that decision? And if you haven't, is God calling you to make that decision today to give your life to him? to take that first step in breaking this cycle and breaking the hold of sin over your life and saying yes to Jesus, yes to salvation. Yes to the one who gave his life, who took your sin, who paid the price, who now sits at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession, he prays for you. If you've never done that, you never said yes to him, then today's the day you know that the Lord's drawing you this is what I want you to do just right now I want you to stick your hand up in the air and say yeah I want to receive Christ today I want him to be the Lord and Savior of my life we've already seen one this morning you you just take a step of obedience and do what God tells you to do amen in the very back Who else? Ice is broken now. God's calling you. I can do this all day.
Listen, we're going to sing a song. We got about five more minutes, short song. And during this song, I want to encourage you. Would you bring your brokenness to the front? I think the dog got saved too. Amen. <laughs> Would you be willing to bring your brokenness to Jesus? Bring your sin, yes. Repent of that. But would you bring your brokenness to Christ today? You have that opportunity during this song. You can do it in your seat, but I think there's something powerful when you move and you take a step of faith. People will be glad to get out of the way. We can stand and sing this next song. I'm gonna pray, and if I, when I pray, if you would stand, and then you respond how God's leading you to respond. There'll be prayer team people here to pray with you. Be glad to pray with you and talk to you, do whatever we can do to help you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for loving us and for the grace that you give us. Jesus, we worship you as we come now. Lord, we need you. We need you to move in our hearts and in our lives. And we look forward to that as we bring our brokenness to you and you heal us. In Jesus' name, amen.